Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. Isn't God good? It's hard to follow a worship service like that. Because let's face it, I'm not that pretty and I'm not that talented. But I'm excited to be here for this day in particular. And I wasn't going to say this and I hadn't planned on it, but if you know my wife, well, let me say this. My wife has been given an incredible gift and uh, she is very prophetic in her dreams. It's scary. And not too long ago, we left, we left a church, we were pastoring there and God said it was time to move on and we were praying about where to go and what to do and she had this dream and I don't even think I've told the pastor this she had this dream about another church and long story long dream short we were we were at this church and and we were eating and we were redirected to another place to eat and it was dirty and it was nasty and it was full of just grime And when we came out, there was a couple there that we had known very well. And it was disturbing because that couple had passed away. But they had the same dirt on them that we did. But as we came through the tunnel, Pastor John and a few others were standing there with a big towel to clean us off. So when Corey started talking about that, he came here and Pastor John just ministered to him. I'm telling you that in the few months that I've been here, I have gained so much encouragement and strength from our pastor. But I'll do you one better. When you find a good pastor and you find an anointed pastor, the one thing that makes the difference is his wife. Every successful pastor has an anointed, God-fearing wife standing behind him. So, Pastor John, I honor you. Valerie, I honor you. You are the backbone. We appreciate Pastor John. And, 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 if I, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, when Pastor John had his first uh, position in church, it was at my uncle's church. Is that my correct? Okay. So uh, when my uncle heard that Pastor John scraped the bottom of the barrel and found somebody like me, he called me, and the first thing he said was, you won't find them any better than John and Valerie. And he said, out of all the places you could have gone, this is the best. So we are very honored for Pastor John. Uh, I'm honored to be here on staff. I'm honored to sit under Pastor John, and I'm going to tell you something. The message he preached last Sunday, I do not envy him. We were riding home, and I thought to myself, and I told my wife, I was like, bless God. I'm glad that wasn't me. (laughs) And then I prayed, and I said, God, give all of those to Pastor John. (laughs) 
This morning, I'm going to take my text, and I'm not going to be very lengthy, out of the 14th chapter of the book of Acts. Don't worry, I'm setting an alarm on my phone. I haven't preached in two or three months, so, you know, <laughs> it's not that bad. <laughs> it may take me a minute to get this airplane off the ground, but I promise I'll get there. Landing, it's going to be the problem. As you're turning there, I, I, I thought to myself this week, and I began praying. I said, yeah, why? What do you say on a pastor appreciation? I remembered uh, about a year ago, I was sitting in a council meeting, and, and they said, Pastor, we don't know any pastors around here who knew you, know you. And I said, what does that matter? And, and they said, well, nobody can come in here and preach about you. And I said, I don't want people to preach about me. I want somebody to come in here and feed my people. I don't want people to preach about me. And, and, and when I began praying, I said, God, I don't know Pastor John that well. And the only thing I heard is feed his people, and I'm going to give you what I got for better or for worse. While you're turning there, I want to, I want to tell you a story. There was a man who went to the doctor, and he, he had some unexplained illnesses and some symptoms that he just couldn't figure out. So he goes to the doctor, and the doctor works him up, blood work and everything. So at the very end, the prognosis wasn't good, and he, he says, I need to talk to your wife alone. So he pulls his wife in, and he said, look, it doesn't really look that good. He said, in order for your husband to extend his life, you're going to need to cook him three meals a day. You need, to, you need to wash his clothes. He needs sex three times a week. I need you to let him retire ten years earlier. He's not going to make it another two months. Well, they get in the car and they're going home and uh, the husband pulls over and he says, you haven't said anything this whole ride. What did the doctor say? She said, you're not going to make it. I'll leave that there. <laughs> That's for Pastor John next week. All right, I'm reading out of the 14th chapter of the book of Acts. This is the beloved physician who accounts this story. Uh, in the 19th verse, here is what he says. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I approach your throne of grace this morning. God, and I ask that you be with me today. Anoint me, Father. Hide me behind the cross. Father, so my enemies cannot see me, but because everything I say, let it lead back to your Son. Father, let me be moved by your anointing and not by emotions. Father, let me be moved by your word. God, and give me the strength to preach this as you would have it preached. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Now, I want you to understand a little bit something about Paul. Now, this is Paul's first missionary journey. Uh, and it starts, it starts uh, and it's a couple chapters long, but Paul, he, he takes off on this missionary journey. And he, he goes to these cities and he's preaching and he does what missionaries do. And he's preaching the gospel. He's serving, he's serving God. He's, he's doing what God has called him to do. And he finds himself in this particular area uh, of Derby and Lystra. And I want you to understand right off the rip that these cities, they, they worship Greek gods. So Paul obviously had a little problem here. So uh, from chapter 12 through, through chapter 14 and a little bit after that, we read these accounts, but I want you to understand that Paul found himself in a very unique position. And I want to kind of explain to you where Paul is here. So I want to give you his story, but I want to do it kind of personal. So instead of saying Paul, I'm going to say you, because I want you to put yourself in his place, and I want you to understand where he's at here. You see, not too long ago, Paul had some letters in his hand that had been signed by a governor with the signet of a king. 
that said that he could go all through the land and he could pick up Christians and he could persecute them. And if need be, he could kill them. And as he's walking on the road to Damascus, he's blinded by a light so bright that it penetrates his soul and he just falls down to his knees. And Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And Paul has no idea what's going on and he's confused. As soon as the encounter begins, it's over. And his friends help him up and he walks into Damascus. But you see, Paul had been changed. So as he's on this missionary journey sometime later, Paul is going through these cities. And the man who used to persecute Christians is now trying to convert people to be a Christian. The man that, who called himself the chief of sinners is now the chief apostle. Arguably one of the greatest men of the New Testament. And he's doing the only thing that he feels called to do. He's preaching Jesus to the masses. And he's going through these cities and he's seeing wonderful services. People are being converted. He goes into a city and he sees a crippled man and, and he prays and he's healed and he stands up. And Paul is riding this Christian high. And then they drag him and stone him and they leave him for dead. I found this, this particular story, I found it very critical and I found it very applicable to my life. I don't know about you, but I felt like I've been left for dead a couple times. Some of y'all in here lying, you might as well get with me. I'm going to preach until you do it anyways. Sometimes I feel like I have been left for dead because I have been kicked and kicked and kicked and I don't feel like I can get up. So I really wanted to take this and I wanted to dissect this because I want you to understand the mechanics of how this works. I'm going to give you a couple points of how this happens. I want you to understand why it happens. I want you to understand what causes it. And then I'm going to tell you how to fix it. Point number one. The reason this happens is hot pursuit of the enemy. If you've been a Christian for longer than 30 seconds, the enemy is on your tail. And if he's not, you may want to come back down here and fix something. I'm just saying, I'm not trying to be, sorry about that. I'm not trying to be mean about it, you understand. But Paul got dragged and stoned by church folks. I mean, Pharisees. Sometimes sheep got some sharp teeth, you know what I'm saying? But when the enemy gets on your tail, he tries to do everything he can to destroy who you are, to destroy your walk, to destroy your faith in God. And he pursues you and pursues you and pursues you. And you find yourself tired from the battle, tired from the Christian labor. You see, I'm reminded of Elijah. You see, Elijah got up on Ahab, and I'm going to give you the Jeremy's ignorant version. Here's what Jeremy says. He got up on Ahab, and he said, look, I got something for you. I'm going to go up to this mountain. You send your men, and I'm going to come up there, and we're going to see what's what. Next thing you know, Paul, uh, Elijah's on top of this mountain, and he's squared up on 450 prophets. And they danced, and they sang, and they yelled, and they cut themselves. And then Elijah just mocked him. He said, man, your God must be taking a nap. And then Elijah adds insult to injury and says, I take this bucket and I want you to wet everything around it. And if that wasn't enough, he said, do it again. And then Paul, Elijah calls out to God and the fire comes down and, and just consumes everything. Now you understand Elijah has done something that hasn't been done before. 
Elijah has squared up on the enemy and said, you're a liar, but my God is the only God. I'm going to show you what it is. And he delivered. Don't clap just yet because the story doesn't get any better. Because after Elijah did it, Jezebel got mad and said, I'm going to kill you. So she chases him and chases him. And Elijah just gets so upset. Now understand, depression is a real thing. Christian depression is a real thing. Sometimes we get depressed because we feel like we're just so burdened by what we're having to drag. And here we see Elijah. Elijah is depressed. 1 Kings 19 and 4. Here's what it says. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. That's a juniper tree. And he asked that he might die. Saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Now, I ain't going to ask you to raise your hand, but I can guarantee you somebody in this house has been somewhere where they say, God, I'm done, it's over, it's a wrap, I need you to get me out of here. There was a time not too long ago where I felt like I was just getting kicked and kicked and kicked. And one day I was riding in the passenger seat. My wife was driving. And all I could do was just drive and cry. That's all I wanted to do was just sit there and cry. And I said, I can't believe after all my faithful service, this is where I'm at. I was mad and I was angry and I was depressed. And I said, God, I've served you faithfully. I've given you everything I got. Why am I here? Then the angel comes to, to Elijah. He ordered a little Uber Eats, and the angel brought him some food. And you know what I'm saying? He, he got horizontal and laid before the Lord, and he got a little rest. But then he got up, and instead of going back into the fight, he goes into a cave. Now we're getting a little bit overkill. You understand what I'm saying? Because he gets into this cave, and if you look at 1 Kings 19 and 10, Here's what he says. He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, am only left, and they seek my life to take it. Now we got a little overkill, right? I get it. He was a little upset. But he's like, I'm now in this cave, and I'm the only one left, and I can't make it. They want to take me. And he's playing the, the, the violin just, just, just all over, and he's down, and he's out. Amen. Amen. Man, I wish somebody had been there. But here's what I want you to understand about Elijah. He's asked to die. He's in this cave. He had been pursued by the enemy. He was depressed. But Elijah wasn't done. Had God been done with Elijah, he probably would have just taken him. But God wasn't done with Elijah. Because I want you to understand something. When God is in it, the enemy can't prevent it. When God has a purpose for you, the enemy can't stop it. He may want you dead. He wants you to take your own life. But God said, I've got you here for a reason. You're in this season for a testimony. You're here because I have you here. It's not your time to die. The psalmist said, I shall live and not die. And I will tell of the works of God. I need you to understand what the Bible says. The Bible says, greater is he that is in 
me than he that is in the world. My man Paul said, more than conquerors. I'm not just the run-of-the-mill conqueror. I'm more than a conqueror, you understand? I need you to get, I need you to get that in your soul because when, when God allows things to happen to you, it's because there is a purpose behind it. Point number two, God allows things to happen that often shapes our path, whether we like it or not. This is called foreordained design. Point number two. No, I need to give you a little disclaimer. I'm not here saying predestination or you're foreordained for anything because you're not. But sometimes God gives people burdens that other people don't have. For example, God gave me the burden of not being pretty. You didn't have to say it that loud. Wow. We all have our burdens and we have our things that we go through. You ever wondered why God allows people to have sicknesses their entire life? You ever wondered why God lets good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people? My uncle... He passed away and we were at his funeral yesterday and I, I couldn't help but think about all the things that he had done. And for eight months he was in and out of facilities. Why did God let that happen to him? You ever been at a Christian's funeral and wondered why God allowed cancer to ravage them from the inside out? Why? We had a person in our church not too long ago. Their daughter had a miscarriage and you think... She served God since she was a child. Why? Let's look at 2 Samuel 4 and 4. I want to give you an example. There's a man named Mephibosheth. Here's what it says. Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. Understand, he's five years old. There's not much a five-year-old can control about their life. Better yet, the son of Jonathan. He went from living in a king's house to being crippled. See, sometimes your mountain is good, but there's a valley after that mountain. You understand what I'm saying? You ain't staying on that mountain forever. There's a valley waiting for you somewhere. So Mephibosheth, he, he's dropped by his nurse. And I don't, know, I, I, I don't know what happened. I don't know how he was dropped. I was dropped on my head, but it didn't cripple me. Probably because I got a bowling ball attached to my neck. But he was dropped, and it crippled him for life, and he was lame. Most accounts say that he was lame from the knees down. Some say from the hips down. I don't know. What I do know is that the man could not walk any longer. So he moves to this place called Lodabar. Lodabar literally translates into land of barrenness. He went from sitting at a king's table to a land of barrenness. Over something he could not help. We get upset sometimes. And I, I, I'll, I'll say I get upset. I, wanna, I don't want to talk for you. I get upset because things happen to me that I don't feel like I deserve. Things happen. I think, God, I shouldn't have to go through this. I don't, I don't do A, B, and C. I, I serve you. Why am I dealing with it? Why don't you let the sinner down the road deal with it? Lord, have mercy. Somebody done said it besides me. 
Somebody done sat on your couch and said, God, I wish somebody else had to deal with it. Somebody who didn't live my life, but I'm a child of God. I shouldn't have to be here. So we live these things and God gives us, he gives us these burdens that we, we just don't understand why we have. And, and then we get upset because God allows other people who aren't living our kind of life to have all these things, these riches. And we over here struggling. There was a time in my life when my bank account stayed in the red. I got so confused. I thought red meant good. The second date I went on with my, my now wife, I didn't want to tell her I was broke, right? Because <laughs> I'm not pretty. I don't need her to know I ain't got no money. <laughs> so I, I didn't have enough money to, to take her out. So I, I, I knew a guy who owned a gas station down the road next to where I worked. And I went down there and I said, sir, I need to work for you. I was so broke, he wouldn't even let me work. And I was upset. And I began, I had to work two jobs, right? I was a home inspector by day and I was a Chick-fil-A cook at night. Boy, I could squeeze some lemons like nobody else. Boy, I was the lemon squeezer, ain't God all right. Give me a box of lemons, I'm gonna get you some lemonade in a hurry. But that's how I made it. And, and, and there was a time, I'm not gonna lie to you, there was a time where I said, God, not me, not me. I'd do you one better. I was preaching a revival during this time, and I was sitting over here somewhere, and, and the song service was going much like it was this morning, and the Spirit of God was moving, and I was sitting there, and I was praying to myself. I said, God, keep moving. I don't want to preach today. Oh, y'all going to look at me and judge me. Yeah, like you ain't never got up and thought, Lord, I ain't feeling church today. I sat right over here, and I said, God, I need you to move because I don't have it in me to preach for you today. I said, I'm mad at you. I'm angry. I've done all this stuff all my life to try and serve you, and, and I, you just leave me here to die alone and broke. But the same thing that happened to Mephibosheth kind of happened to me. You see, David, he got to wonder, and he said, is there anybody else left from the house of Saul or Jonathan? And the servant named Ziba comes to him and says, there's, there's a man named Mephibosheth. He lives in Lodabar. He's the son of Jonathan. He says, sin for Mephibosheth. I want him. So he goes and he gets Mephibosheth. And here's the lesson I learned. When Mephibosheth got there, it wasn't because David invited him. Hear what I'm saying. Listen, read between the lines here. He, he wasn't there because David invited him. He was supposed to be there the whole time. When God said, get up, it wasn't because God was inviting me to this pulpit. This is where he had called me to. Boy, you're going to get it here in a second. I want you to understand. The Bible tells us is that in 2 Samuel 9 and 13, he says that Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem. He lived in the city of David, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Check this out. When you sit down at a table, what do you see of the person across from you? You see it from here up. When you sit at the king's table, they can't even see your lameness anymore. They can't even see it. Now understand, when Mephibosheth come back, and I know this sounds like a comeback story, but this isn't a comeback. 
It's not a comeback because this is where you belong. Baby, don't call it a comeback. I was supposed to be here the whole time. This is where God had me. I'm not coming back from anything. I'm just stepping into what God had for me the entire time. I'm not done with that. I thought I was, but I'm not. I need you to hear something. You may be enduring something that you don't think that you deserve. When you endure things that you don't think you deserve, it's because the devil is on the other side. We got to stop thinking about all these obstacles as attacks from the enemy. Now, what do you think would have happened to Mephibosheth had he not been crippled? They would have come after him too. They had killed everybody. If if Mephibosheth, in that day, they wanted to kill all of the king's descendants so nobody else could sit on the throne. Had he been staying in the king's temple and he had working legs, they would have come and killed him. But bless God, God crippled him so he could survive and sit where God had him. You may be crippled, but it's because God knows more than you do, sweetheart. It's because the enemy's trying something and God is stopping him. I need you to hang on. Man, I feel like <laughs> we got to go. And I turned to Dustin. And I said, man, there goes my message. They done said the whole thing. Robbie done preached that whole thing. I said, I ain't got nothing left to say. But I need you to hear something. You need to hang on if you're enduring something because you're still breathing. And if you're still breathing, that means you're still alive. And if you're alive, it's because there's more to your future. No, I do have to warn you. I wouldn't be a good holiness preacher if I didn't warn you about something. Pastor Jordan, will you put all those letters up for me, please? Now, I'm not going to lie and say I came up with this all by myself, but this is the one I like the best. Pastor Jordan came up to me and said, what do those letters mean? I said, I don't know. i got to open my notes. Now understand that sometimes God, he gives us obstacles because he knows that had we not hit that obstacle, the devil was waiting on the other side and we would have been attacked. But sometimes, and I know it ain't none of y'all in here, sometimes we put ourselves in the wrong place. These letters stand for Jesus wouldn't have put himself in that place to begin with. Don't be getting mad at God when you don't went out there and done it on your own. You can't, oh Lord have mercy. You can't go clubbing on a Saturday night and come in here and raise your hands and expect God to do something that you shouldn't have been doing the night before. You can't go against biblical principles and come in here on a Sunday morning and expect Pastor John to feed into you and to bless you because he, Jesus wouldn't have done it in the first place. Pastor John ain't going to do it for you. You put yourself in that place. Y'all get mad at the pastor saying he didn't bless me this morning. He prayed for me and I didn't get nothing. Where were you at last night? You can't cuss and pray out of the same mouth. I'm, go- I'm moving on, I promise. I promise. I'm done. But I need you to understand something before I move on. James 1 and 13. 
I want you to pay real close attention to this scripture. James 1 and 13, it says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. God brings tests and trials to prove you. You go to temptation on your own. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. God doesn't make you do those things that you shouldn't have been doing. God is a good God of free will, and we choose those things. So when we choose those things, you can't go back and say, I choose to do wrong, but I want God to do right in my life. Let me, let me, let me synthesize this for a second. When I was a young man, right? Well, I'm still young. Stop, Corinne. I turned 35, and she said, you look like you're 60. Don't say anything else. I'll make you sit outside. When I was a younger man, there used to be a little, I'm about to tell some stories. Lord have mercy. This is in the past, I promise. There, was a, there used to be a little tropical bar off of uh, Fairburn Road by Interstate 20. Anybody? Well, never mind. I get ready to ask me anybody knew where it was at. Put your hands down. Put your hand down. Um, I would go there and play on Saturday nights, right? I would go play piano there on Saturday nights. And then I would go to church the next day and I'd play up on stage. And I got to wonder and I said, man, I don't feel like God is answering any of my prayers anymore. Jesus wouldn't have put himself in that place to begin with. Don't get mad at God because sometimes we do it on our own. Amen. Don't get upset. Sometimes we do it on our own. I'm moving on. Lord, have mercy. Boy, this place got quiet. Man. Now understand something. God could have allowed Jezebel to catch Elijah. God could have allowed Mephibosheth to stay in Lodabar. Now what do you think in the temple where David is, how many servants do you think he had? A lot. How is it that just the right servant knew about Mephibosheth was standing in earshot of David when he said it? Think about it. The only man in this temple of 200 servants is just standing feet away from the king when he asks where the, the lineage is and he happens to hear him. The chances are that much. God could have let Mephibosheth stay in Lodabar. God could have allowed Jezebel to catch Elijah, and Elijah would have been one of the greatest martyrs of the Old Testament. He could have went down and, don't get me wrong, Elijah's the, one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament period, but I guarantee you, we would have been talking about Elijah the martyr. But why didn't God allow it? Why did God allow David to find Mephibosheth? So which one are you? are you? Are you Elijah or are you Mephibosheth? We go through a crisis identity sometimes. I think I said that backwards. I did, thank you. We go through an identity of our crisis. What is it, baby? Can you help me, please? Thank you. We go through a crisis of our identity. We don't know who we are sometimes. That's why I married her. She's much smarter than I am. Outside. I'll tell you what, pastor's kids, man. Lord have mercy. 
but we go through this, this crisis where we don't know who we are. And I'm going to dig into this nut at our youth service. I'm excited about it. But sometimes we don't understand who we are. We act like this when really God said we're this. You remember the story of David and Goliath? David went out there and Saul wanted to put his armor on David. Now, understand in those times, David was probably 5'3 to 5'6, okay? And and Saul, the Bible says, he was head and shoulders above every man. He was probably 6'3 to 6'6. He had a foot on David. So when Saul put his armor on David, it didn't fit. Now, understand one thing. David had already been anointed to be king. Just because you aren't appointed doesn't mean you're not anointed. You can hang on to that. That wasn't even in my notes. That's free for you. Sometimes when you are anointed, you don't get appointed right off the bat. But when David went out there, Saul put all this this armor on him, and David rattled around like somebody had kicked a can down the road. It wasn't because David wasn't supposed to wear the armor of a king. My God, he just hadn't grown into it yet. We don't know who we are. And we begin to get in these situations and we forget because we think that everything that we have to endure is something that's meant to kill us. But it was never meant to kill us in the first place. We just think we're dead. But my Bible says, who the Son sets free is free. And it didn't say who the Son sets free and who isn't going through anything. It says who the Son sets free. It doesn't say who the Son sets free and isn't being attacked and isn't hitting bumps in the road. It says who the Son sets free is free. My identity is built in Christ and in Christ alone. I may look like Jeremy, but who I am as a son of God, I may look like I don't have a great job because I don't, but I am inheriting the kingdom. I may look like I'm not much special, but God said I am a child. God said that I am as his. God said that I am more than a conqueror. God said that I am special. God said that I am worthy. God said I was worthy of Christ to die. God said that I am his and he is mine and I am free. What I look like ain't who I am. My uncle, when we had the funeral yesterday, my, my uncle Evan, he got up there and he said something that just hit me hard. He said, the corruptible is now incorruptible. I may look corruptible. I may look like flesh and blood, but what you going to do to me? Hang on, hang on. Hear me. If you're a Christian, you need to have a bad attitude about it. What's the devil going to do to me? He can't do nothing with me. Boy, I need somebody to feel. I feel like my God. He can't do nothing with me because if you kill me to die, he ain't got nothing on me. You can't kill me. I tell you what, go ahead. I'm looking for heaven anyways. My God, do what you got to do. I'm flesh and blood here, but on the inside, I'm corruptible. And I'll tell you what, one of these days, when I get to heaven, I'm going to walk with the biggest strides you ever seen on the golden shore. My God, I won't limp anymore. I won't hurt anymore. What used to be flesh and blood will be perfected. You need to stop letting people tell you who you are. 
Stop letting the world classify you. See, the problem is we, we care so much about what everybody else thinks. We let people decide who we are. We can go around this room and you can tell me your name. You can probably tell me your blood type. You can probably tell me your social security number. But answer me this, when you die, what does it matter? Paul said, I have run my race. My God, I tell you, if today's my last day, I've run my race. Understand that these trials, they may look like they are going to kill you, but even if they do, so what? Even if your trials do take you out, who cares? Boy, take me out, let me go. But if they don't, I tell you what, the devil can't do nothing. All I want to do is preach anyways. He can't do nothing with me. I'm unstoppable as long as I'm with God. So which one are you? Probably the most transformative time of my life. I looked inside of myself and realized that I took more stock in what God allowed me to do as a person than what He called me to do as a minister. If you go to Matthew chapter 28, everybody here is under the same mandate. I'm going to tell you why that matters. If you were to look at yourself and you were to look at your past and you were to look at the things that you've been doing, are you tired from your Christian labor? Who many, who's in a fight? I'll raise my hand right now. I'm in a fight. That's why I feel so good to preach it. My God. <laughs> who's having to go through it? Who's having to struggle with it? I guarantee you somebody last night went to bed and said, I don't want to go to church. It ain't going to matter. Somebody here said that. I promise you. Somebody here got here this morning and said, I don't feel like worshiping. I don't feel like lifting my hands. I've done this over and over and over and it never gets me anywhere. And somebody said, I'm sitting down and I'm not getting into it. Somebody in this house. I don't know. I can't tell you why bad things happen to good people. I can't tell you why we struggle. I can't tell you why we have to go through all these things. I can't tell you why life is so hard. But what I do know is that we shall Somebody needs a shall moment. You know what shall means? Shall means it will happen. It will come to pass. It's not a maybe. It's not maybe if this happens or this happens. A shall moment is when something happens. I know that we shall overcome. You need to get to that shall point in your life. It's right around the corner. As long as you are walking with God, you shall overcome. You shall be a conqueror. You just need that shall moment in your life. I'd have messed my notes all up. I'm sorry, Jordan. Here's my last point. I'm going to close this thing down. I'm closing. God doesn't do anything by mistake. Nothing is an accident. What you've gone through is not a mistake. God didn't accidentally drop a mistake and it landed in your path. Better yet, you are not a mistake. God didn't make you the way you are by mistake. You want to know how to love people better? Love yourself like God loves you. Folks can't love other people because they can't even love themselves. But my Bible tells me that I'm made in the image of God, so who God made me is perfect for what God made me for. I ain't got to 
I can't preach like the pastor. I'm not as smart as the pastor. I don't, I'm not nearly as pretty. I can't be like the pastor. But the way God made me is the way that he wanted Jeremy to be. And I have to love myself for God made me so I can love you the way God made you. The other thing I've got to do is stop acting like I'm perfect. I am trying to close this sermon. I've got to... You, we come into church and we feel so, so, so compelled to act perfect and smile so nobody thinks anything is wrong. Anybody got teenagers? Let me see your hand. Y'all done been through it this week. Who's got kids that are not teenagers younger than that? You're about to go through it. I'm not a prophet, but I promise you, you're going. I'm not perfect. I have problems in my home. I'm not a perfect husband. I'm not a perfect father. I'm not a perfect minister. I'm not a perfect son. I come in here with things on my heart. I come here with things that I struggle with. But when we put a mask over our face, that's one big smiley face. God can't do anything with it because you won't even take it to him. My man, Cor, just they just sang a song. What a friend we have in Jesus. You t- I tell you what, <laughs> I can't fix my wife's problems, but God can. I can't fix my friend's problems, but God can. I can't settle my mother and my father's disputes, but God can. I can't come in here and make it a perfect church, but God can. God can do everything, and you are not a mistake. You are not an accident. God made you for a purpose. You are special to God. You need to get up and get out of that depression because God made you for a reason. I'm sorry, Jordan, you might as well just forget the rest of it, buddy. I'm way off. Corey, you got to come up. I got to stop. I got to go. We got to eat. If you go back over everything that's happened in your life, I can promise you there's one common factor. If you turn your Bibles to the 124th chapter of Psalm, it said, if the Lord had not been. Well, I felt that one. I may run here a minute. If it had not been for the Lord on my side, it says that the angry would have swallowed me up. Oh, my God in heaven, I've gone through some things, and i got a lot more to go through, Brother Robbie, but God is on my side, and the Bible says, if it had not been, I'm here because of God and God alone. And I know that if I'm here through what I've been through, it's because God has something left for me. So I need to hear, you need to hear what I'm getting ready to say, because this is the only reason I'm here today. If you are alive, it's because there's more to your life. Your greatest obstacle is your greatest opportunity. The darkest moments of your life is your finest hour. If we would stop looking at every trial and obstacle like we were being killed, like we were being left for dead, Man, God could change some lives. 
I'm guilty. I get all in my feelings sometimes. I'm closing. I'm going to tell you a story about a man, one of my heroes. During the mid-1800s, there was a lawyer. He was a successful lawyer, and he lived in Chicago with his wife. His wife's name was Anna. He had a successful business, a successful firm. It was kind of like that picture-perfect life. But around 1870, their only son had turned four years old. By the time everything was said and done, my man had five daughters. But he only had one son. And in 1870, his son turned four. A couple weeks after turning four, he contracted scarlet fever. And his son died. His only son. Not too long later, fire broke out along the shores of Lake, Lake Michigan and he had some, some investments and holdings up there and it damaged a lot of his investments and his holdings six months later the great Chicago fire broke out and every investment he had burned to the ground including his business so now within a 12 month period his only son had died and he had lost almost everything he had. He was almost bankrupt. So he decided him and his wife, Anna, they were going to sell to England to take a sabbatical. Now understand, this, this lawyer, he was a godly man. In fact, he was good friends with D.L. Moody. So as they're in New York, they're getting ready to sell out. The name of the boat was the Ville de Avar. But what happened is that the man received a telegram and said, you're going bankrupt if you don't come back to Chicago and fix this. They're taking everything you have. So he goes back to Chicago and he sends his family on the Ville de Aver out to the Atlantic Ocean to go to England. Nine days later, he gets a telegram and all it says is saved alone. He has no idea what it means. Facebook was down that day, so he couldn't pull it up and see what happened. But here's where his story starts to take a turn. There was another sea vessel, an English sea vessel, named the Locker. It was traveling the same route. And on November the 2nd of 1873, the Ville de Aver and the Lockhorn collided in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. 226 people were killed. You know, here's what's crazy about it. Here in the state of Georgia, one in 77 people will die in a fatal car wreck. In the mid-1800s, less than 25%, there's a less than 25% chance that two boats would collide. There is a .00325 chance that the Ville de Aver and the Lockhorn would collide. But it did. His wife Anna was on, on the deck clinging to her daughters when the waves ripped them apart. All four daughters died. 
So now he's lost five children in less than three years. When Anna finally found a piece of floating board to grab a hold of, she began telling people her story and somebody said, you were spared for a purpose. I wish they would have said, if you're alive, it's because there are more men that would have made my message awesome. The lawyer quickly boarded a ship and he went to go over to England to meet his wife. They would later have a fifth daughter and I'm going to read you an excerpt of what, of what she wrote. She heard this story from a father and she pinned it down and she said, during father's voyage, the captain called him to the bridge and said, a careful reckoning has been made. The captain said, I believe we're passing the exact area where all your daughters died. At that point in the Atlantic Ocean, it was three miles deep. So she says her father runs down to his cabin. He grabs a pen and some paper and he falls to his knees. And he writes these words. It is well with my soul. This man is Horatio Gates Spafford, the author of It Is Well. He writes this single line and he underlines it. And then he keeps writing and he says, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. I don't care what you're facing. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what next week holds. Let me tell you something. Your finances don't matter. What you went through has no bearing on what God says you are. That divorce you went through don't matter. Those family problems, it don't matter. Because God says, I have more for you because you are still alive. Here's my last point, and I'm sitting down. I have learned. I have learned in, in, in my short lifespan and especially in my walk in my relationship with Christ I have learned that everything we go through every, everything we encounter it has no bearing on my soul we pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. And give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. 
At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.